Good morning and happy new year. It's, it's very crazy how time flies here in UAE. I, I think you share that thought with me. You might be one of the many who came here for just a few months' stay, but here you are after three or four or more years celebrating 2023. Happy New Year. But it's obvious that God has a reason for each one of us to be here. But most importantly, God has a reason or a mission for the church, Rock Evangelical Church, to be here in Ras al Khaimah at such time like this. Today we will try to see this mission, the reason why we are here, the church is here from Matthew 28, starting from verse 18 to 20. The word mission might be a bit vague or complicated to some of us, so I will try to define it. Uh, We might have different uh, interpretation of it. When I say mission, when I say what is the mission of the church, what I'm saying is to uh, what is the assignment. I'm referring to the assignment or the task of the church. So mission means task or assignment of the church. So we will try to answer this question. What is the church supposed to do? What is the mission of the church, the task of the church? I'm convinced that Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20 provides an answer to this question. So let's read Matthew 28, starting from verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority, go, make disciple, baptize, teach, I'm with you forever. These words stand out to you when you read this passage, and we're going to see them one by one. The main theme or the main thrust or the main driving force of this text is sandwiched between the two verses. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. That's the main point of the text, and that's the main point of our sermon. Go therefore and make disciples. That is the answer to the question that I asked at the beginning. What is the mission of the church? Why is Rock Evangelical Church here? To go and make disciples. We will try to see this text in three parts. In three parts. Let's start with the first one. The first one, verse 18. That's the basis or foundation of the mission. The foundation of the mission. Verse 18. It is good to see the previous passages in order to understand what Jesus is saying. But for for the time being, we are going to see chapter 28 of the Gospel of Matthew. What is going on there? What's going on on chapter 28? I think verse 5, you can go there and look at it. Verse 5 of this chapter gives us kind of 
a summary or a main idea of what's going on there? It says, do not be afraid. The angel was talking to the woman. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Jesus, who was crucified. The women were going to the tomb to see their master's body, who died a few days ago. They saw saw him on the cross, and they were absolutely sure that he was dead. Not only them, but the Roman guards, the Roman guards who were guarding the tomb, were also sure that he was dead. They were not standing there just in case he becomes alive. That's not the reason why they are there, right? The reason why they are there was to make sure that no one stole Jesus' dead body. Jesus was dead. Even the chief priestess, the council who ordered the murder of Jesus, were sure and didn't doubt for a second that he was dead. Do you see that on verse 13? They say, the chief priests say, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away, stole the body away. They were trying to cover up the resurrection, not the death. The death was sure. They believed he died. It was not some guy who looked like Jesus was crucified on the cross. And somehow God with his power make a way for Jesus to escape. No. No. Both his friends and his enemies believed that he was dead. Jesus was crucified. He was dead. His death is sure. His resurrection is also sure. The man who died a few days ago is now talking in verse 18, our text. What seems surreal here is Jesus, who was killed by authorities a few days ago, is now claiming that all authority has been given to him. All authority. It doesn't look that impressive to do that claim after being killed by a local authority. Jesus' profile is far from impressive, to be honest with you. We just celebrated Christmas a week ago, and we were singing the king in a manger. Jesus was born in a small town called Bethlehem. that's, That's not impressive if we were living at that time. It's not impressive. It's far from impressive. We were reading passages at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew stating that his parents, Mary and Joseph, went as a refuge to Egypt. He was born in a manger. He came from a small town called Bethlehem. His families were poor. That's not impressive. And he died an embarrassing death. And now, on verse 18, he's claiming he has all authority in heaven and on earth. What, what is the proof of that? What is the evidence of that? The resurrection. The resurrection is the evidence. 
Yes, his death is sure. Both his friends and his enemies testified for it. But his resurrection is also certain. Just take a moment and imagine the resurrection. Just take a few moments. A man whom you are 100% sure is dead, now is in front of you, talking with you, interacting with you, saying, come, touch me. I don't, I don't know if you want to do that, if you see a dead man coming to life. A dead man coming alive is shocking. I remember one time I was reading an article that was talking about a photo that was very hard to explain to people. In 1919, during First World War, the British Royal Air Force assembled to take a group picture, as they did uh, every year. And after taking the picture, no one noticed anything out of ordinary until the photograph was presented back to their camp. They quickly realized that Freddie Jackson, a jet mechanic who died a few days ago before the group picture, was on the picture. His face was there among them, plain and clear. They were shocked. They were perplexed. The comrade who they buried a few days ago seemingly now appeared in a group photo. Centuries later, people are still talking about that picture. How did that happen? Imagine if, if a picture of a deceased man seemingly appearing gives such a great shock for people to study it throughout hundreds of years. Think, what would you feel if you had interaction as far as touching him, talking with him? That's what shocked the disciples. They couldn't believe their eyes. Jesus, who they buried, is alive. They were touching him, hearing him talk, and responding to him. He is indeed risen from the dead. Don't take the resurrection lightly. But if you, if you really think about it, this is not the first time that a person rose from the dead, right? This is not the first time. The disciples, the disciples have seen Jesus raising the daughter of Jairus and most notably Lazarus from the dead. What made this event so special, this resurrection so unique to the extent that the disciples Look at verse 9, same chapter, chapter 28, verse 9. They came up and worshipped him. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They didn't worship Lazarus when they saw him, but they bowed down to Jesus. What made this resurrection different? That's the answer for verse 18. The resurrection was the attestation or the proof or the evidence of all of Jesus' claims. What did he claim? 
He claims that he is the great I am. What did he claim? He claimed that he's the resurrection and the life. It was like a lightning thunder which shocked, amazed, and astonished the disciples by fully revealing who Jesus is. He is the one with all authority. That's what pushed them to worship him. These people who forsake him a few days ago, now they are worshiping him, bowing down to him. Jesus said, he is a great I am, and it is true, the resurrection. He said he is the resurrection and the life. It is true because of the resurrection. All these truths were suddenly before them, and all they could do is bow down and worship. That's why this resurrection is unique. Yes, they were saying all authority is given by God, the Father, to God the Son. They were saying to Jesus, you are the Son of the living God. Jesus didn't only say all authority has been given to me. He said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. His authority was not only on the 11 disciples. Of course, he is their master. It was not only on Galilee. Of course, he was born there and he ministered most of his time there. Of course, he is the Messiah, the Davidic king. But he was not only the king of Israel. He has authority not only on earth, but in heaven and on earth. He's saying, I'm God. He came with humility, but risen with glory. There is no more cross for Christ. There is no more cross for Christ. He is in glory. His glory is revealed through his resurrection forever and ever. The best, the best way to interpret Bible is to use the Bible. What I'm saying is cross-references. Use the Bible in order to understand the Bible. We can use an example here. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, is best explained with Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. You don't need to go there. I can read it for you. It says, listen to this. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know who, who wrote this? It's Paul who used to persecute Jesus, but he bowed down to this authority. There is no authority greater than this. Every knee should bow down and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ has all authority. I don't want I don't want you to misunderstand this. The resurrection didn't change Jesus' personality. It's the same Jesus. 
It's the Jesus who died a few days ago. It's not a different Jesus. The resurrection just revealed who Jesus is. It didn't make him God the Son. Rather, it showed that he is the Son of God. Another question for you to consider. For those of you who are Christians, have you ever, have you ever talked about the resurrection while evangelizing to someone? Is the main, the main part of the gospel that you preach is the resurrection? We often omit the resurrection part. We will just say, Christ died for you, for your sin. You know that Christ is alive still, right? The resurrection is the main part of the gospel. The resurrection is the main part of our faith. Do you know that without the resurrection, our faith is futile? Well, you don't need to take my words. That's what Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith in vain. We don't need to come here. If Christ is still dead, what are you doing here? The reason for us to gather and celebrate God and praise him forever is because Christ is alive. A gospel that omits the resurrection is a false gospel that couldn't save anyone. If he has not been raised, he don't have all authority. So if you got lost while I was explaining the first point, verse 18, this is what I'm saying. Two sentences, two statements. The resurrection showed us that Jesus has all authority. The second sentence, Jesus' authority is the foundation for our mission. Two statements. The resurrection showed us that Jesus has all authority. And Jesus' authority is the basis for the mission that he gave us. But where, where do we see that this is the basis of our mission? Where do we see that? Do you see the word in verse 19, therefore, go therefore? That shows us that this is the foundation of the mission. That's the second point, the mission. The first point, the foundation of the mission. The second point, the mission. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, because Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, go. Once he used to say, I came to serve, but now... All authority has been given to me, so go. If you remember, Christ used to tell people to say any, nothing about him to anyone. But here he is telling his followers to say everything about him to everyone they could find. Because the resurrection showed his authority. They are sent out because his authority is revealed. I don't know if you ever faced people who ask such kind of questions. 
What right do you think you have to tell other religions are false and worshiping idols rather than that? It's because it's Jesus' authority. How dare you tell people that their lifestyle, preference, is sinful and it's going to cast them, cast them to hell because of Jesus' authority? He said to us, I have all, the, all authority, therefore go and proclaim the good news. These days, we see a lot of emphasis on the word go. People will just take that word out of the context and preach about it for one hour. I'm not going to preach for one hour. But that's not the case at all. The emphasis is not on the word go. It's on the command make disciples. It's, it's very easy to, say, uh, to see. For example, just go to verse 7 of the same chapter, Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, and see the angel speaking to the woman. He said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He said, go quickly and tell the disciples. What's the emphasis here? Go, it's not go quickly, right? Of course, they need to go. It's important to go. Otherwise, they will sleep in the tomb. They have to go. But the main emphasis here is go and tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. We can't say the same thing here. Go and make disciples. Of course, we have to go. But the main emphasis is make disciples. If you recall, at the beginning of my sermon, I said the main point of the text, and also the main point of the sermon is sandwiched between verse 18 and 20, right? Verse 19. We are there now. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the mission or the task of the church. I didn't say the mission of a Christian. I said the mission of the church. This is crystal clear from the text. The command is for the church mainly, not individuals. You see the verse 20, see the verse 20, you see the word you, I have commanded you. He's talking to you. That you is a plural you. He's talking to his disciples, not to a disciple. The command is to the church. We as a church disciple people, we as a church baptize and teach people. The command is for the church. It is we, it's not I. The mission is supposed to be carried out by believers who are part of a church. Local church planting is done by the ones who are part of a local church. If you remember Paul, Apostle Paul, maybe by far the greatest evangelist, the greatest preacher ever, do you know that he was sent out by a church? 
Apostle Paul. We are supposed to carry out this mission as a church. So we said, make disciples, right? Make disciples. How are we going to make disciples? How does the church make disciples? Two things. You see that on the text. By baptizing in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The second one, by teaching what Jesus have commanded them. Please don't get tired when I repeat this question. It is so important for us as Christians. What is the mission of the church? What is the task of Rock Evangelical Church? Why do local churches exist? To make people disciples by baptizing and teaching. Two things, baptize and teach. Let's see them quickly. Baptize. Baptism. Baptism is a mark of adding someone to the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and also the saints. The word in can be read as into also. Into the name. Someone is baptized into the name of God the Father of the Son and of of the Holy Spirit. People who get baptized are those who believe in this name. The church should never, ever baptize a person who do not know this name. Baptism is, is to those who believe in the name of our triune God. But baptism doesn't make us Christians. Baptism doesn't make us God's children. It publicly testifies that we are children of God. If, if you believe that you are a Christian and are not willing to be baptized as a believer, you are disobeying God. You are not obeying Christ. All right, so make disciples. The first one is baptize. That's how we make disciples as a church. The second one is by teaching. That's how we make disciples as a church. What do we teach? Do we teach our experience? Do we teach people how to feel good? We teach people what Christ has taught and commanded us. We are not, not allowed to choose what to teach. It's already given to us. We are commanded, not suggested. We are commanded to preach, teach what we have heard from Christ. We are commanded to preach the Bible. Here every Sunday, every Sunday here, you hear what, what we call expositional preaching. What this means is that the point of the text is the point of the sermon. Preachers are not supposed to share their ideas. One of Paul's last words to Timothy was, preach the word. The apostle was dying and he was saying, preach nothing else, preach the word. 
We are supposed to preach the word. So the mission of the church is to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Nothing more, nothing less. So most of us, if not all of us, came from different cultures, right? From different continents. This is what I want you to understand. The mission of the church, the task, the assignment of the church will not vary, will not differ because of culture, geography, or the financial situation of the community. The mission of the church in rural parts of Africa is the same as the mission of the church in Asia. It's not different. You can't choose a mission. It's already given. The church is the only, the one and the only institute, so to speak, that has this mission. It's not given to any institute. If, if the church doesn't do this mission, nobody will. One preacher said, For God so loved the world, he gave his church to proclaim the good news. He gave us Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ gave us his word. God uses his church to show his kingdom to this world. Nobody will if we don't do it. But let's be honest. It is very, very hard to assume that this is the only mission. When you go to places where you see children dying of hunger, mothers dying of lack of medicine, you will begin to ask, is that the only mission that the church has? Are you sure? Of course, nobody will question that the mission of the church is to proclaim the good news. Of course, we have to make disciples, baptize, and teach. But is that all? Nothing more. To answer this question, let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, if you, as you remember, there was a football World Cup in Qatar, right? 32 nations played, and my team, Argentina, won the tournament. <laughs> well, to be honest, I started rooting for them when they won the final game. What can I say? I just like winning. Well, winning was the main goal of every nation there. We saw that in the game between Saudi Arabia and Argentina, if you remember it. Even for the teams that are considered to be weak, the main assignment was still to win the game. No, no offense, but even the U.S. national soccer team was there to win. <laughs> to be fair to them, they performed really well. But the mission 
is still to win game. Nobody was there to rent a hotel or to do press conferences or to entertain the fans or just to hang out with teammates. Of course, those are important things and necessary for them to achieve the greater end, but that's not the point why they are there. That's not the main reason why they are there. They had one task, and it was to win games. The church also has one mission, one task. The mission for the church on earth is to make disciples, nothing more, nothing less. It is important to help the community by providing meals, medicine, hospitals, job opportunities. That that is good. That is fine. But that's not the mission of the church. It might help to achieve the mission, but it is not the mission of the church. It's good to do charity work. Nobody will stand against that. But that's not why the church is here. Why is the church is here? Still, I want you to get this. What? Why? Why is the church here? What are we doing here? We are here to make disciples by baptizing and teaching them. What is the foundation? Christ's authority. I'm from Ethiopia. Let me tell you what amazed me when I came here or when I've heard about Ras Kema for the first time. There is a church. There is a church. There is a gospel-preaching church. I'm not talking about, obviously, the building or the chairs. I'm talking about individuals. I'm talking about members. I'm talking about you. I know people, I know of people who spent five years, five years or so just trying to find a church. I myself and my friends tried to find a church for two and a half years just to find a church. Don't take this lightly. There is a church here. I've never, never imagined that I would find a church in this part of the world. A church, again, members who invest their lives Many energy, time to make disciples. Just look around and see how many people have been disciples of Christ through this church. I'm talking about you. You've made disciples by teaching and baptizing people from different nations and different walks of life. May God take all the glory. And may God bless you for this work, for obeying Christ's command. It's not easy. It's not easy to follow Christ's command. It's very hard. Fulfilling this mission is not an easy job. Just take a look to the disciples' situation. If you remember, if you remember the story, The disciples were hiding because they were afraid of Romans and the Jews' authorities. They were hiding. Even some of them got back to their old jobs just to secure their future. Despite all of this, we see Jesus saying, Go, therefore, 
Make disciples by baptizing and teaching. It's not easy, but go. Years ago, I used to live on the northern part of Ethiopia. I was a student back then, and we used to do some kind of outreach ministries programs in village areas. I, I remember one time when four students, including myself, went out to do street evangelism in a place called Asbi. Street evangelism basically means, for those of you who don't know street evangelism, it means proclaiming the good news, good news of Christ one-to-one to whomever is willing to listen on the street. So while we were doing street evangelism, two of the students got arrested by the local police for preaching the gospel. It was a crime to preach the gospel. And they were looking for two of us who were not detained. A brother who we just had met earlier that day uh, kind of hid us in his restaurants uh, from the authorities. He was trying to save us. But the two brothers who were detained, they needed mattresses and blankets to sleep. They were at the police station. The only thing that the police station provides is floor, is ground. That's the prison in Africa. The police station was very far from where we were, and there was no one who was willing to take the risk to take the mattress and the blankets there. So the brother who hid us in his restaurant told us we need to go and give them the mattress and the blankets. I remember my friend saying, you know that, you know that they will arrest us, right? If we go there, they will arrest us. They are trying to find us. And the guy said, yeah, there is a chance that they will arrest you. My friend who was graduating after studying seven years of medicine said, let me get straight. Are you asking us to risk our whole future just to go and deliver blankets? He said, "Uh, yeah, yes. I think Jesus was saying the same thing to the disciples. But he was not asking them to deliver mattress and blankets. He was asking them to bring the good news of Christ, who, what will save people from their sin, the good news of Christ. Jesus was asking his disciples to risk everything, everything for the mission he's going to give them. Are they trying to detain you? Go and make disciples. Are they trying to kill you? Did they promise to kill you? Go therefore and make disciples. Are you willing to risk what you value the most for the sake of the gospel? Is Christ more valuable than the pleasant relationships that you have with your families and friends? Is he worthy of your praise 
Is he worthy of the glory? But let's face it. The disciples were scared. Even after the resurrection, we see that in Acts chapter 4, when the chief, the chief priests and elders warned them to speak no more to anyone in this name, they were afraid. So, what is the comfort of our mission? It is the presence of Jesus, our master. Let's see our third point. Let's read verse 20. B. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our third point is a comfort for our mission, or a comfort for the mission. A comfort for the mission. They were scared. The disciples were scared. Matthew starts his gospel by saying, Emmanuel, God, God is with us. He finished his gospel by saying, Emmanuel, forever God is with us. Christ is with us in spirit. We have the comfort of having the all-ruling king beside us. You see the word to the end of the age. That phrase shows us that this commandment is it's not only given to the disciples, it's also for us, because there, there was no disciple who lived till the end of the age. It is given to us. But not only the commandment, the comfort is also given to us. Christ is with you always. When your parents reject you, when your friends abandon you, when people rise against you for the sake of the gospel, know that Christ is with you. When you are utterly disappointed because you have preached the gospel for some people group for quite some time and didn't even see one conversion, Jesus is with you. When you, you invest your life, the future of your children, your time, your energy, all you have into the mission work, and you don't see the fruit that you expected. Christ is with you. He is there to comfort you. The comfort is only for those who are disciples of Christ. If you're not disciple of Christ, Christ is against you. He's against you. Are you following him? If not, he's against you. Here is how you become a disciple or follower of Christ. The first human, Adam, rebelled against God. And because of Adam, all humans have likewise rebelled against that. Everyone is sinner. Everyone is a sinner. Because God is perfectly just, he must judge and punish every sin. Hell is where sinners are punished. What is hell? 
Hell is a place of eternal torment. Hell is a place where God displays his wrath. But God, but God, because of his great love and mercy, he also forgives. Because God is holy, this forgiveness, this mercy requires sacrifice. So God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to die on the cross. Jesus took upon himself the sins of his people. He was dying on the cross in your place. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the grave, proving that God has accepted the sacrifice. So in order to become a disciple of Christ or to receive this forgiveness, Jesus calls you now to repent from your sin and believe this good news. You must trust in Jesus alone to get this forgiveness, not in your, on your own good works. When you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God, a follower of Jesus, the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You inherit eternal life. That's how you become a disciple of Christ. In conclusion, in conclusion, we, we have seen three points. While we were going verse by verse, word by word, th- there was one phrase. I don't know if you saw this. There was one phrase that we jumped over. It's in verse 19. You can't go there. Make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. I, I don't need to explain this. Just look around again to understand what all nations means. We don't, we don't want to downplay the going part. We don't want to overemphasize the word go because the emphasis on, is on make disciples. But still, still, we don't want to downplay it. Luckily for us, for all of us, we are living in UAE. I didn't say that because of the weather. There are more than 200 nationalities here in UAE, working or living. There are more than 200 nationalities. The world is residing, residing in this Seven Emirates. What does it mean for you to go and make disciples of all nations? Go to your neighbor. Does it, does it bother us that there are people who have never, never heard the name Jesus, but they are still living beside us? Does it bother you, the neighbors that you have, have never ever heard Jesus and you're living beside him? Do we really feel a heavy burden in our hearts that there are no believers in a certain people group 
Does it bother us? We are commanded to go to them and disciple them, preach the gospel to them. We are commanded to baptize them, teach them. Is there a fire burning inside your heart for the, for the lost soul? One preacher said, We Christians talk of the second coming, but half the world has never heard of the first. Let me repeat that. We Christians talk of the second coming. We talk about the second coming. But half the world has never heard of the first. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. We need to go and make disciples. Surprisingly, we didn't get arrested that day. We didn't get detained. And the brothers who were detained were released on that day. But while they were arrested, they found a person who was known for his crime in the village of Asbi. So they took that opportunity and preached the gospel to him. And he got convicted of his sins and understood the only way to be saved is Jesus Christ. We might be afraid, but Christ has all the authority to save people from every nation, from all nations. Jesus has all the authority, and because of that, Christ has commanded us to make disciples by teaching and baptizing. He is with us forever.